Hey guys, Jack here. Before we get to our awesome episode with today's guest, Matt Berkey, uh, I'm super excited to let you guys know that we have a new website. We've already talked a lot about what's on that website, you know, including some of our uh, weekly blog series, including the podcast breakdown, in which we use software to try and answer more concretely the questions brought up in each week's episode. Uh, we've talked about that, but what we didn't mention was that our website was super, super slow. For those of you who have been to our website, you probably figured that out. Good news. We now have a different website provider, uh, and our website is sleeker and much, much faster. So if you haven't been to the website, please head on over, justhandspoker.com. And if you've been to the website but were sick of waiting for the articles to load, good news. Uh, we fixed that. Head over now. All right. Uh, enjoy the episode. Hey, Jack. Hello, Zach. What's going on, man? Not much. Enjoying this dreary Ohio day. How about you? I can say the exact same thing, uh, unfortunately. But, but, but fortunately, it's not all. yeah, it's yeah, not all. Uh, today, we have the pleasure of talking with Vegas high stakes cash game pro and recent um, document high placer, Matt Berkey. How's it going, guys? <laughs> Going excellently. How about yourself? Not too shabby. Uh, All right. So we have sort of a treat. Uh, we're we're getting out of the you know Cleveland Jack Casino two five game and heading over to what looks like the Seminole Hard Rock for Poker Night in America, where you played some interesting hands against Jennifer Tilly. Yeah. So these all kind of came late in the session. Uh, the game we've been playing. Pretty loosely, uh, Marchese and I were were most of the action and doing uh, most of the winning at that point. And Jennifer is known to have never won on the show before. So she was trying her damnedest uh, and was near even um, prior to like the last hour. But her and I got tangled in a couple big pots and... Uh, she uh, she ended up making a big loss for the for the session. Awesome. <laughs> so well, I'm glad you did your part just to you know to make sure that yeah, she wouldn't go away happy from a single session. I had to keep the streak alive. I mean, I, I wasn't gonna gonna just let it come to an end on my watch. Naturally. Uh, so do you want to you know give us sort of your read on her play and I. You said Marquez was in the hand to his play. Yeah. Uh, all right. So you know, Marquez and I play pretty high together often. Um, we're significantly more experienced than the rest of this table at live cash, let alone high stakes live cash. Um, you know, by and large, Dan O'Brien, Marmelstein, those guys are tournament players, um, and uh, Miami Boss or whatever his name is. I don't know what he does. But I'm certain it's not high stakes cash. So, you know, we're pretty comfortable. We're, we're mixing it up a lot. Our ranges are going to be a lot wider than our opponents who are going to be playing a lot more tight to the best. Uh, Jennifer actually plays very high with us as well. She's frequent in uh, Ivy's room anytime she's in town. And, you know, she does a lot of things well that people don't understand. Her ranges are not necessarily very calculated the way she constructs them. 
But I think she makes up for that in a lot of spots by knowing when to take the lead in hands post. So like she has some unique line work. Let's let's just call it that, uh, which probably ha- works often against people who just think that they can steamroll over her. Yeah. So so um, what what type of do you have like maybe a, a quick example of the type of interesting line work you're talking well, about? Well, this end this end will be one. Except okay. I just happen to have it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like the line she takes in this hand is just something you've never seen before. It's it's just outrageous. But I actually think it's really good. And if say I have ace king instead of what I actually have, I don't know that I'd ever be capable of winning the hand, in spite of the fact of me knowing that her range is like relatively weak. All right. Well, you're you're piquing my curiosity, so. Let's get okay. to this hand. Okay. So uh, we're playing 25-50, folds to Marchese in the cutoff. He opens to 150 with king-queen of clubs. Uh, I'm on the button with jacks, and I three-bet to 500. And what are, uh, what are the stack sizes here of Marchese, yourself, and Tilly? Marchese, Marche- yeah. Uh, we're 22K effective, Tilly being the shortest. Uh, Marchese and I are like 25,000 effective. Um, so you're all super deep, you know. 400 yeah. big binds plus deep. Right. Cool. Um, so I make it 500 on the button with jacks. Tilly then cold calls out of the small blind. Um, I kind of don't want to divulge her hand yet. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, don't divulge your hand. Don't divulge either uh, of your hands yet. Okay, I think I already said my hand. Well, you yeah, can no, say your hand, your hand is, fine. is fine. Right, right. Uh-huh. We, we want to try to get inside your thought process like when you were Okay, playing. good. Yeah. Yeah, 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 good. Okay. Uh, so she cold calls out of the small blind rather quickly, like never really considering four betting, which is notable because um, people just tend to give away what level of their range they're at based on a lot of their actions. So whether it's a long pause of consideration, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're considering calling or raising it could be between raising and folding but still you understand like what point of their range they're at um yeah and also just like the fluidity and way things happen like if they just quickly call it's it's very easy to peg them on like middling portions of their range that are playable uh especially when we're this deep and you have three players who all have a lot more gamble in them than than the rest of the table perhaps so you know it's 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 pretty easy to eliminate the top of her range here Dan O'Brien folds out of the big blind, and Marchese then calls from uh, where he opened in the cutoff. And we see a flop of 9-5-6 rainbow. The 5 is a heart. That'll be important moving forward. And I have uh, the jack of hearts, jack of spades. So uh, on this flop, obviously, even against two opponents who are continuing in a 3-bet pot, I feel quite confident that I'm I'm best here. Though, like, this very easily could uh, hit Tilly's range as far as, like, sets go. She probably has all combos of 7-8 suited and pocket 5, 6s, and 9s when she plays it this way, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so does Marchese, probably. Sure. um, But all that information gets cleared up rather quickly. Tilly just leads for 1,000. Um. which I still don't think, or I, I still think, like we'll still include 
some nutted hands. Like, I don't think that she is always check-raising all of her sets in 7-8. I think she's aware enough to lead them some of the time. But the thing is, with our stack depth, I just don't care. Because her hand range is still so wide in the sense that she possesses all uh, combinations of 6-7 suited, 6-8 suited, 5-7 suited. 9-8 9-8 suited, 9-7 suited, uh, as well as like 10-9, jack-9, ace-9 suited. All, all of these hands that I'm just destroying with pocket jack. So do you think she's just so unbalanced in this leading out range? Like you're saying she has some nutty, nutted hands, but you're saying she has just significantly more weaker made hands? I actually think like there's some semblance of balance in the sense that she's probably leading these nutted hands as well. But I don't care because I don't think she's going to play them particularly uh, well moving forward based on how I react to her lead. And what I mean by that basically is that she doesn't necessarily know why she's leading. So whether she's balanced or imbalanced doesn't really matter because she didn't start this line work from the river backwards, right? She's just reacting to the flop, and then she's going to react again on the turn and react again on the river. And that's precisely what happens as we kind of step our way through this hand which allows me to just like completely maximize a hand that I should have maybe gotten two streets for. Um, so she chooses to lead for a thousand and uh, Marchese obviously folds. Uh, and I elect to raise to 2,300. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think I kind of want to better understand why you're raising here because my, my thought is that if she's somewhat balanced here, with hands that are crushing you and weaker made hands that don't have a lot of equity against you, I don't see that much value in raising. If she's really unbalanced and has a lot more weaker made hands, I think exploitably raising to maximize value against that larger portion of the range makes sense. But if she's, if you think she's somewhat balanced, not necessarily by design, but just in happenstance on this board in this moment between better made hands and worse made hands, then I don't, I don't right now understand uh, the value in raising. Um, okay, so if we're playing our hand from the river backwards, understanding that we have jacks on a clean board where we're getting led into, and trying to solve basically for how we want turns and rivers to play out, we put ourselves in peril if we then become bluff catchers. So when we raise this flop, we still possess our entire range. So we, we can still have combinations of 7-8 suited, maybe not all of them, but some of them, and we can still have some combinations of sets, as well as all the overpairs, uh, as well as all, all of our bluffs are technically still intact. Um, yeah, so basically, like, uh, when she leads, the reaction that she's going to anticipate is for us to call. Uh, so she's lead- if she has any purpose whatsoever, it's generally going to be to take control of the hand and be able to uh, maneuver more profitably on turns and rivers. So every hand is going to have a leverage point. And she's trying to be the one who's in control when that leverage point comes. So when middling cards fall, a 10, a 7, an 8, a 4, uh, another 9, whatever, all, all of these cards that are perceivably bad for my range as a three better, but are perceivably good for her as the cold caller, she'll then be able to leverage me off the stronger portions of my range 
that really can't improve, such as jacks, such as queens, maybe kings. Um, or she'll just be in position to take advantage of the fact that like I don't fold enough of my range, and I'm forced to then look her up with like really weak holdings. And again, like what I was saying before, uh, far earlier, if I have ace-king here instead, I'm in no position to win the hand through just calling this lead. And if I can't win with my bluffs by calling, then there's really no reason to attempt to protect my weak value. Like, either it's a valuable hand or it's not. I don't need more information from Jennifer on turns and rivers. Like, turns and rivers aren't going to help my jacks. They're only going to help her perceived lead range. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to think if if it's... Like, that all makes sense to me, but I'm trying to think, well, counterfactually, we obviously should be balanced in our raising range here, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think through if there's value in having a checking back range here. Or, or, sorry, in a calling range. And my first reaction is that, like, jacks are, like, kind of the ideal candidate to put in a calling range. Yeah, see, I would disagree. I would think hands that can improve would be the ideal hands to put into a calling range. So if I actually have 9-7, okay. 9-8... Nine, nine, or so they, yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. hands that I think people would turn into a raise as a semi bluff here are the hands that I would generally be calling with, and the hands that people are too afraid to get thin value with, and just then play defense, would be the ones that I would be raising here and uh, basically discerning how many more streets I can get moving forward based on turns and rivers. Yeah. So basically, all I was saying was that uh, there's a certain level of comfort that people have to playing the strongest portion of their non-nutted range in a bluff-catchy style. So mm. Jennifer takes Jennifer takes an obscure line here, right? She cold calls pre and then just leads on a dry board that's very favorable into a three-better. So if we plan this hand out from the river back, we have to understand that there are going to be certain runouts that are going to force us to call flop and turn and then fold river or force us to call flop and then tur- fold turn. Um, basically, like, never really giving us a chance to win the hand in any other manner other than getting to showdown. And that's kind of okay when we have jacks, but it represents such a, a fractional portion of our range to begin with. And on top of it, it's like it never really allows us to go for any sort of thinner value. So in my opinion, I don't think aces and jacks are any different here as far as like what the hands are worth versus Jennifer's range. I don't think she has many queens, kings, and aces in her range. Um, but I would be very upset with myself if I simply just called her down once or twice throughout the course of this hand with aces. I'd just be leaving a ton of money on the table. She's too prone to making mistakes with the weaker portion of her range, which includes a lot of pair and gut shot draws, um, a lot of pocket tens, a lot of ten nines, uh, a lot of ace nine suited. So like, there are just way too many hands that we could be extracting value from. And moreover, allowing a lot simpler maneuverability on turns and rivers for us when we have control of the leverage points. Yeah, I definitely I definitely like this. It's all it's just making me uh it's it's a lot at once because it's it's making me think that I'm you know making some consistent mistakes against Donk Benson in the games that I'm playing in. Obviously, it's I mean, it, it's player dependent. 
it's 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 more strategy dependent, right? Because like you're not making mistakes by bluff catching. You're gonna do it better than the opponent who's taking uh, a random line that doesn't make that much sense because he's not calculated. Or Jennifer in this instance probably isn't very calculated. Um, however, you're also making yourself pretty easy to play against once people start expecting a certain reaction out of you. Um, where it's like, regardless of my holding, I don't think she can expect me to just always raise. If she did, she wouldn't have led with what she led with. And people just don't adjust quickly enough. So the other thing is like when we bluff catch here, our hand becomes very transparent. Now we have to have a lot of sets, a lot of straights in our range to protect the times that we're calling with overpairs, right? Otherwise, we're just completely capped out. And she can, if she's paying any attention whatsoever, just lean on us every time a card between a 6 and a 10 falls. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that that was sort of my concern, is that uh, the way... I guess the way I'm playing preflop, it, I'm already not capped because I definitely have seven eight, but uh, I'm at a bit of a disadvantage, not having fives and sixes, and probably not having nines. Although if Marchese is opening really wide, then maybe I do have nines. Uh, so I'm I'm wondering, do you think you ever have fives or sixes here, and do you think that matters against Jennifer? Like, is she going to realize that she has this range advantage and just? try and apply insane amounts of pressure even if you turn around and raise here. And I get I don't mean to ask a question and then keep talking, but oh, I'm gonna sure. do that anyway. I actually one of the things you said that like I think is really, really cool and really smart is just like, yeah, if if you know Jennifer is gonna play a hand like eight or eight nine this way, she obviously does not think you're gonna be raising. And so if you come out and do raise, like it seems it's, it's, it's like, like a, a it's king. like well it, it might she might react to it in, in a poor way but it's also just like her strategy is already like broken if we think Jennifer Tilly is going to be like coming out and betting you know pair plus draw hands and then we come out and raise with our whole range then her her plan has like backfired majorly uh, and so even if she might have a slight advantage in terms of like the number of sets. Uh, we're pretty even on straights, so I guess she can't necessarily abuse you uh, by raising when you're this deep. Uh, so I, I think that's you know really really interesting to me. Right. I have there's to speak also more about like it. there's also a lot more just shallow uh, things to look at. It's just like how how is she going to react to the raise even when she is in the nutted portion of her range, and how does that possibly going to affect us? Like, is she really three betting the nut straight here? Is she really three betting sets and things along those lines? And if the answer is by and large no, well, then it doesn't matter because we're going to find a lot of checkbacks on bad turns anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and now the river play is just going to be the same as if we had gone call call. The only difference is uh, we've garnered a lot more information and uh, we've kind of put ourselves in a position where Due to the line that we've taken on uh, clean rivers for us, we're just going to be like pretty happy to call because we've kind of set that up, set that up. So like, yeah, uh, you'll, you'll be able to bluff catch better, and you'll be able to value it more thinly with the same same pot. So you win, right? Right. Yeah. Here's what people don't understand: is that like, by and large, the reason why 
bluff catching is such a poor strategy is because it involves capping yourself as early in the hand as possible. Um, and that's not a bad thing if you have the knowledge as to how your opponent will, I guess, attack a, a, a capped range. Most opponents just won't attack a capped range. And that's why they're bad. And that's why people can bluff catch very profitably. Uh, for the ones who will attack it, you have to understand like how crisp they will be in their execution. And if the answer is fairly crisp, then you really need to do a lot more to remain uncapped and you have to play a lot closer to a GTO style against them. But there's a ton of value in capping yourself out against somebody who will attack so long as you do it later in the hand, right? So if I cap myself on the turn or I come into the river capped, uh, that's okay. Because now I'm just like going to be put to one very difficult decision, but I understand that there's a lot of value there because my opponent's taken more than just the nutted portion of their range to that street as well. So it's like having to defend three streets with a capped range is impossible. Nobody's going to do it well. But having to defend one, it can, can be very profitable if it's calculated from your standpoint. I definitely hear what you're saying. I think uh, the only thing I have trouble with there is that we won't be able to bluff catch well for three streets. In what way do you think most people are being taken advantage of You know, when they're sort of bluff catching in a very balanced way for three streets? To me, what would make sense uh, is to say, like in this situation, like we could bluff catch, but it's just better not to because there's more money to be made not bluff catching rather than saying like but that's bluff catching... That's so, always the case, because if you're right, bluff-catching okay. in a balanced manner, it means you're leaving a ton of value on the table with so, okay, I, with your stronger portions. And if you're bluff-catching in an unbalanced manner, it means you're capped and you're being exploited. Right. It took me a second to get there, but now, I yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. So I think like ultimately it comes down to strategy flaws, not, not necessarily how you're going to play a specific hand in a specific spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, tendenc- the tendencies of the field are just to either not have a strategy or to default to what's en vogue and what's been popular for the last five years, basically because of the rise of tournament play, is to bluff catch. And that's why you're seeing like, you know, a handful of guys separating themselves from from everybody else and seemingly winning all the money and crushing high rollers and doing all this other stuff because they've simply found that in live poker specifically, where the volume of hands you get out is significantly less than the time put in. Uh, they understand the necessity of playing as many hands as possible and doing them in a valuable, exploitive manner. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess, do you think that's predicated on people like, you know, Jennifer Tilly having a range that includes, you know, pair plus dry hands that, in my opinion, like, should be checks on this flop and you know she might be leading them um, i mean sort of but like let's play this hand from her perspective right so say we give her that wide range of all suited connectors all pairs fives and above um and or let, let's say pairs of fives to queens so we'll give her one one pocket pair that beats me that isn't a set um as well as like all the suited nines uh, which I don't think is that unreasonable. I'm 
I'm fairly certain she's not folding like king nine and queen nine suited here. Um, and that may be bad, uh, but let's just assume that, you know, that's that's how she's arrived at this flop. Now, with a range that wide, she is going to have a very difficult time for the same reasons that we just talked about, bluff catching three streets. Mm-hmm. So, so she doesn't gain anything really by checking uh, anything in that range, right? Unless she's check folding. So some of the hands that she may check fold, I guess, um, are fine. But she either needs to be check raising or taking the lead. And for her, I just don't think she's like that comfortable check raise barreling. It's just too much. So she just scales it down uh, one action and now instead plans to just I assume lead lead, but we'll never know because I raise uh, the flop. But like her assumption is she'll lead. I'll just call. That'll give her a ton of information. And then based on turn cards, whether she improves or not, she'll decide if she's going to then bluff catch for two streets, lead again, or perhaps check fold some of her range. And I don't think that's really all that terrible. Assuming that you're going to, Bluff catch with hands like jacks. <laughs> yeah, correct. Right. So like if even as played, I don't think it's all that terrible. If she thinks that I'm only raising like my my missed broadways and like stronger value ranges. So her hand is going to give her a lot of information uh, whether she's considering it or not. If she has a nine, I have fewer sets. If she has uh, any hand with an eight in her hand, like I have fewer straights. If she has combinations of both, like... Now I have even lesser hands that have connected with the board. So it's like if she's thinking that I'm really only raising for value with hands like aces and uh, that's just not all that likely. Well, it's not that difficult for her to just go into bluff catch mode now. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these are all assumptions. Uh, people are going to make a ton of mistakes, but that's the beauty of the game. That's that's why deep stack cash is like such an eloquent art, I think, like. Nothing is black and white, and you're not really going to put yourself in too many spots where uh, you just default to a naturally uh, maximum optimal line. That's that's not really how this game is is right. panning out. Like it's nowhere near that solved. Uh, I think both her and I take very strange lines in this hand, and neither one of them are standard. But I think that I found a way to win the absolute maximum from a hand that should have probably never made it to the river. Cool. Well, in, in that spirit, what happens What happens after you raise and what happens on the turn? Okay, so I, I misspoke earlier. I actually raised a 2,700, not 23. Okay. Um, she decides to just call. The turn is then the 10 of hearts, bringing backdoor hearts. So it's now 10 of hearts, 9 of spades, 5 of hearts, 6 of diamonds. Um, range wise, this is a great card for her and not very good for me. And this just speaks to like her perception and understanding how, how runouts work. Um, because she then elects to lead 4,000 into, uh, 6,900 on the turn. And that's tough. I mean, 
whether she understands how good of a bet that is or not, like it almost doesn't matter because now uh, if I have that raising range that she perceives or I assume that she perceives I had on the flop, which is a lot of busted paint draws uh, or busted paint hands. And then like maybe I guess Jack's plus or maybe only Kings plus whatever. It's going to be really, really, really difficult for me to call the turn. And she's just often going to win. And when she doesn't win, it's assumed that she's going to be holding a range of hands that still have a chance to improve on the river. Uh, the slight flaw in that is that I'm going to have some combinations of hands that pick up heart draws on the turn as well. Um, but... I don't think it's enough for her to really consider not taking this line. Like, I actually think she's taken a really good line thus far. This is such an interesting hand to me because, you know, this is a definitely a positive event for uh, Jennifer's range versus your range. Mm-hmm. But what what do you think she suspects your range looks like when you check raise the flop? Because if she thinks that, you know, the value portion is mostly like aces plus then it's not quite as good of a spot to come out and lead uh she might get you to fold aces although it seems unlikely uh but she's definitely not getting you to fold sets or straights let's assume that she's not thinking as far as to what my range is right let's assume she's only considering what her range is or at least perceived to be okay uh so let's take it from that vantage point she's perceived to have all the sets she's perceived to have 10 9 she's perceived to have pocket 10s she's perceived to have 7 8 um and i guess uh if she's thinking deeply enough she should understand that she also has all of those bluff combinations of like 5 7 5 8 or sorry 6 7 6 8 uh pocket 8s 9 8 Nine seven, but her value all greatly outweighs her combo bluffs, and she knows that like she has no natural bluffs anymore, right? There's no there's no mm-hmm. queen there's no queen jacks in this range, um. So I think in her mind, she is telling a story where the worst possible hand she could have is like nine x of hearts, which. Uh, should still beat a fair portion of my raising range on the flop. Um, because, you know, she just led into a three better. It's like a lot of people are just naturally going to take their no pair hands and attempt to win it right there. Now, I certainly wouldn't because that board texture is rotten for it against a cold caller. But she may not, like, give me enough credit or understand that. Yeah, I guess if she thinks within the context of her own range, like this turn card really polarizes her nicely uh, against, I guess, what she probably assumes you're holding. So if she recognizes that event, then yeah, I definitely, the, the lead makes a lot of sense. Right. And it doesn't even necessarily, I mean, it does polarize her in a sense, but like uh, her bluffs still have equity. So well, it's of like, course, but, yeah. Right, right. But, you know, in most polled senses, like, it's nuts or air type thing. And she really has zero air here. So that's kind of like a big leveraging factor in the sense that it's tough for me to hold on lightly. Um, like what, 
what would I do if I somehow had a six of spades? Like, I can't really continue anymore because I didn't improve. Her range definitely improved. And even when I'm right and she is bluffing, a lot of those bluffs have me beat. Mm -hmm. Well, if she checks you here and you're somehow holding a six of spades, do you think you're continuing? Just because, I mean, because with the range that she has, like, she's probably not expecting you. Yeah, right. Right. So with the range you're going to continue with, you are kind of like interestingly wedged, you know, sort of between her pair plus draw hands and her, you know, her very strong value hands. Right. So like she doesn't expect me to continue on the turn that often, I don't think. And when I do, I'm going to be very close. Uh, My range is going to be close to hers, right? The only difference is I'm going to have more of the over pairs. But I'm also still going to have like the ten nines myself. I'm going to have, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the thing is, is like I'm still probably raising a lot of my set plus hands, but there just aren't that many combinations of them. So I don't think she really has that. So I think I have like sets plus about as often as I have over pairs, and um, half of that range she's nearly dead to. The other half. Uh, she could probably win with a third barrel against. So she does kind of put herself in a really weird predicament there in the sense that like she may only be folding out um, hands that have very little equity against her anyway, such as you know king-queen, ace-king, stuff like that. But she sets herself up. The important thing is she sets herself up for a river shove that will just work nearly always. Because all of that range that I just talked about, my strongest portions being sets plus, and uh, my more likely portions being over pairs and, and uh, some 10 nines, etc., um, are being played differently. So my sets plus are almost certainly raising the turn. My two pairs and weaker are just holding on for one more street. And... Once she gains that information and understands that, like, I'm capped out at 10-9 going into the river when I just call, she can pretty much just shove dark. And it should win almost always. So you raised again here? No. Okay. <laughs> uh, the stack, stacks just don't allow it. So yeah, she, yeah. Bets, she bets 4K into 6,900. Uh, once I call, there's 15,000 in the pot and she has 14,500 behind. Yeah. So if I'm raising, I'm shoving, and if I'm shoving, she's just playing perfectly. Uh, you know, right. She'd have that. The only way I'm like getting thin values if she has like nine eight of hearts. Yeah. Uh, and just kind of has to call off, and then I just have to fade the river. So all that being said, really, I think up until this point, she's taking a really good line, and in spite of my best efforts, she still kind of put me into a difficult river spot should she choose to act on it. But the thing I have going for me is that she's not a professional and she's just not going to play rivers correctly. Like she's not going to shove nearly often enough. It's going to be, you know, a tiny fraction of the amount of times that she should shove, which uh, once I call the turn should be around a hundred percent. If she just always shoved, I mean, I'm only really going to get the call when I improve. Yes, I mean, if you thought she was going to shove, then you'd probably 
full of here, I would think. Correct. Correct. Yeah. 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 If I thought that she was like always shoving river, uh, I would either fold here or know that I'm just like resigned to calling anytime the board doesn't change. Right. Um, but anyway, as played, uh, I call the river is the 10 of clubs. So now there's 15,000 in the pot. She has like 14, five behind and I elect to bet, uh, she checks again, which I think is a big mistake. And I think I elect to bet 4,000. Um, I go for thin value. I can't remember the exact number. Tell you in a sec. Yeah, I bet 4,000. So I'm laying her four and a half to one on a call here. And I personally don't like making these bets. I think that they are very transparent. This is never a bluff. I think that you really need a specific spot to justify doing things that are so outwardly exploitative. You know, everything that we've done in this hand so far has been much more exploitative than it has been balanced, right? But it's not so outwardly obvious right. that a non-thinking opponent is going to take advantage of it. This bet, however, is. And it really takes knowing somebody's tendencies and knowing that like she's not capable to... to take a, a really thin check raise shove here, uh, lay me a good price to call, et cetera, et cetera. And also knowing that like she's just not good enough to fold a nine. Um because I'm I, I'm really not getting value from a lot of hands at this point. That's true, but it also seems like you would expect pretty much her entire you know value range to shove this river. Uh, or do you think that's not true? No, I do think it's true, except for right. Queens. I, I think Queens has to check call. Yeah, so I mean, against a range of Queens and then all these Any Any nines. 10 is shoving, yeah, any 10 is shoving, any full house is shoving, obviously, and I think any 7-8 has to shove. Um, but even if she checks half of those, as well as Queens, I still think there are enough 6x, 5x, and 9x's that she's going to try to hero getting laid almost five to one. Yeah. It almost seems like with that type of read, you could maybe even go a little bit bigger, you know, like if she has that many combos of those hands, she's played this way and is trying to hero. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I guess from a nine, I could maybe get like an extra 1500, but I have to consider what I can get from a five. So when she has ace five suited, and just or a, a better example when she has a six of hearts and now has landed herself on this river how can i get that hand to call because from a strength aspect it's very different but from a uh i guess sense of what she beats it's the exact same she beats the same hands with the six as she does with the nine which are none <laughs> yeah i mean the other the other thing about it is like the presence of queens in her range Mm-hmm. Like you could really push the threshold of what she might sort of steam call with here on the river if she weren't also calling with, you know, a six combos that, that yeah. or maybe she doesn't play all six combos of queens this way, but you know, three combos to beat you, mm-hmm. you're kind of playing with fire. So, yeah, the the bet makes sense to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely not just a very obvious. She never has a hand that beats me. Uh, there are certainly a couple in her range. Um. 
if she showed me queens, I wouldn't have been shocked. If she showed me kings or aces, I would have been a little surprised. But again, it's like I was a little surprised by the line she took. So if she just tables black aces in that spot, it's kind of like, okay, I mean, it's weird. I wouldn't have taken that line. You probably could have won more uh, had the board not ran out this way. But I'm not overly shocked either that you just happen to have a hand outside of your perceived range. Yeah, I mean, if she thinks Marchese is going to be four betting a lot, uh, when you three bet on the button and she calls out of the small blind, then you know flatting yeah. with a few combos of aces could be really nice. Yeah, or even if she's just aware of the fact that like she cold calls too much in this spot, and it's important to sometimes have the absolute top of your range so that you're not just so transparent to having middling pairs and pseudo connectors. Right. Um, but yeah, so she ends up tanking for like four and a half minutes and ultimately calling with pocket eights. Then it's the thin. You might you might get might get the award for that on our podcast. <laughs> I was really proud of this hand in the moment. I, I felt like I was really engaged and and understood just how the whole thing was gonna shake out, I guess. You know, it it's just like a lot of like card removal too and things like that. Like the the river ten is very fortunate for me because yeah. the turn the turn oh, ten yeah. does bring a lot of hands that like now beat me. Like she could have top set and just decide to lead into a range that raised her on the flop, or she could have turned top two and taken that line. Uh, you, you know, she does improve with some hands. When the river ten comes, it's like okay, if she has quads, good for her. If she has tens full, good for her. Like I just don't care, and that that is often my mindset. If people are going to take passive lines, and they sometimes are going to have a better hand range than me, I don't care. Like I'm not going to leave that money on the table just in the hopes that I lose a little less when I'm beat. Yeah, it's, it's such an interesting board because, like, through the turn, it's just, like, kind of a nightmare situation comparing your guys' ranges, uh, even though you managed to maneuver it well. Uh, and then the 10, obviously, is, is probably, like, easily the second-best card uh, for you to see there, just short of a jack. Right. Um, it's also good because it gets her to check. Yeah, um, I I think she's I don't necessarily yeah I don't necessarily think she's shutting down all rivers, but I don't think she's shoving, which would have allowed me ultimately I think to call no matter what the river was. I do think that card is like pretty scary if you're trying to bluff. You know, like you turned around and led on this ten, so obviously she's thinking like, well, this ten is is really good for me, and then when the second ten peels on the river. It's like, shit, well, my story just got, you know, much, much worse. Right. And then she becomes a little bit more considerate of like, oh, well, he could have turned top two and is now full. He could have turned top set and is now has quads. Like it, it starts to paint a portrait that I'm now holding the more credible range, which just because I've gotten this far, right? Like I've refused to relinquish into a lead call and then another lead. So what do I have? I have to have something, but like what she should understand is that when I call the turn, the best hand I could ever have is 10, nine. And it's even less likely now that it's turned into what would be a full house. I think it also makes her check that much weaker, not just because she has fewer value hands, but those value hands, you know, now have the benefit that, 
her range just got weaker combinatorically, so I think it's just even more likely that she would shove with her whole value range, uh, making the thin river bet a lot more profitable. Yeah, the the other thing that's like really worth considering, um, and it really should have made it a layup shove for her, is I only have one combination of 10-9 suited. Um, I have two on the turn, but when the 10 of clubs hits the river, I literally just have 10-9 of diamonds. So the probability of me having a hand to call with versus her shove is next to none. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, yeah, this was, this was a really awesome interesting hand. hand. Yeah, thanks for bringing this on. Anytime.